Today on Ag News Daily. They feel quite a bit more satisfaction in how they performed in grain marketing, how they performed in selling their grain we've seen, when they actually know their costs of production. August 17th, 2023, Thursday. We're almost to the end of the week, Delaney. We're going to bring a couple more days of good podcasts. We certainly are, Tanner. we got a lot to cover today. I wondered if you had a lot because I've got more tabs open than I usually do as well. So I'll try and hit some high levels here. National Weather Service's rain is expected in the Midwest today. Hazardous weather outlook is in place for many in the path of these thunderstorms. North Central Ohio has the highest chances for the most rain and hazards. The south central portion of Ohio is in a fog warning this morning that could also cover portions of northeastern Kentucky. But most of that fog is in relation to low-lying areas and river bottoms. But it'll be interesting to see where things continue to go from here weather-wise. The rest of the country looks to be fairly quiet. Well, Tanner, I don't have too much in the weather department. However, I did find this interesting in Arlen Suderman's afternoon newsletter yesterday, Tanner. He talked a little bit about hot weather as that's continuing here over the next two weeks in much of the Midwest. And he's concerned it's going to put crops under stress as we go to finish and fill out here, both in the corn and soybeans as they're heading into their final stages. Here's the part I found interesting, Tanner. Um, Arlen, we've had on the podcast, is an economist by all accounts, but apparently in his past life, Tanner, he was also an agronomist, which I found interesting. But he said because of his background as a former agronomist who's walked hundreds of fields, he is strongly in the belief that soybeans are made in August. And based on his research that he's seen in the fields, in years where we've seen really stressed Junes to the degree that we saw this year, it's ended up with a lot lower yields, definitely below trendline yields. And he's concerned overall at the production we're going to see, especially on the soybean balance sheet. So I thought that was just a little interesting tidbit to share with our listeners today. That is. I know I've got some producers in this area that would align with his beliefs. So obviously the combine yield monitor will be the telltale sign there. The FDIC announced a four-branch bank is closed near Elkhart, Kansas. This is the fifth bank to fold in 2023. However, the Kansas State Banking Commissioner stated that the seizure from the FDIC was not related to economic standards, was related to an isolated incident. They were apparently a victim of a huge scam that had nothing to do with other regional bank failures. Those were exactly in quotes. The Heartland Tri-State Bank was only $139 million in assets. The commissioner stated that it was determined that after this scam, Heartland Tri-State Bank became insolvent, and they became insolvent due to an isolated event. So interesting news there in the banking world. Ethanol production rebounded. The American ethanol production was reached a three-week high that ended the week August 11th. Production of the biofuel rose to an average of 1.069 barrels per day last week up from 1.023. Production in all regions climbed. Ethanol inventories, meanwhile, increased to 23.43 million barrels in the week that ended August 11th. That's up from 22.88. So it's good to see ethanol production jump back up. 
Tanner, I was going to ask also as well there on the banking story, because I had that one pulled up as well. And you being a banker, we get to have a little special insight. Um, I hadn't realized, I guess, that there were already some regional banks that had declared bankruptcy. But are we seeing that trend be the norm across the industry or is that just regional for that area? Uh, so when the term regional is being uh, discussed in this instance, that is more focused on what we saw for the large bank failures in California. As far okay. as what's already been reported on, it's not necessarily Kansas region. Regional means there's more than just a four location, two city type bank. It covers an entire region of the U.S. So, um, no, we are still at record low bank failures as far as that goes. Um, when you compare it to years past, we just haven't had many. So now that there's been a couple in 2023, that's what's capturing headlines. Got it. Well, thank you for that clarity. I was curious on that headline, but switching back into some biofuel news, Brazilian food and fuel processor Caramuru Alimentos, one of the world's largest grain crushers, has started selling soybean-based ethanol at one of their plants in a center-western area of Brazil. This is one of the first companies in the world, Tanner, to produce at scale and sell hydrous ethanol made from soy molasses, which is a soybean byproduct, the company said in a recent statement. This ethanol can be used as an automotive fuel in Brazil, where most vehicles apparently in Brazil already can run on 100% ethanol. So a little different industry down there than compared here in the United States. But this is expecting to be a big facility. They're expecting to produce about 9.5 million liters of this hydrous ethanol per year, according to the company. And they expect to sell 72% of that volume into their domestic market. So a pretty large facility there, not only for Brazil, but also should be pretty good here for the rest of the world to see how we take on that new product in the market. But I'm not entirely sure what hydrous ethanol is, so it might be a good future interview to look into here, Tanner. Yeah, I wouldn't have, I mean, I've got a guess just based upon the words themselves, but it is certainly not a good one. Two research teams have detailed advancements in transplanting pig kidneys into humans. This is marking a new step forward to the path of clinical trials. New advancements are detailed by two separate research teams. The researchers from the University of Alabama, Birmingham, Hersink School of Medicine found that transplanted kidneys not only produced urine, but also provided life-sustaining kidney functions of filtering waste, according to their research letter that was published. And in a news conference, an ongoing study team from New York University, Health and Legon, highlighted exactly the same but longer-term success in transplant recoveries. Healthy kidneys filter waste products from the blood. This is a measure of serum levels that can help determine if this process is working. Being able to show that these pig kidneys not only made urine, but were able to, to clear toxins out of the blood, that would be equivalent to what an adult human would mean is absolutely critical before moving into live person clinical trials. The goal of the transplant was not just to make urine, but was to have the kidney function and remove clear toxic substances from the body. This study was conducted on a 52-year-old man who lived with hypertension and had stage 2 chronic kidney disease. 
He was uh, considered brain dead at the time of this procedure. Before the transplant, his toxin levels were well above normal, and they were cut in half within the first 24 hours and normalized by the end of 48 hours, maintaining a normal range throughout the remainder of their study. This study lasted seven days from beginning to end. The human-to-human transplants of kidneys obviously is the number one goal and will work better and much more quickly than the transplant from deceased donors, but the pig kidneys Delaney behaved much more like a live human transplant than it did from deceased donors. So positive movement there in science and may give more future use to pig kidneys. Interesting. That was a lot to take on there, but I think I posted <laughs> that overall. So Tanner, I have just a few final headlines here, one of which being in the dairy industry, according to a recent report released on Tuesday, international dairy prices are now on average at their lowest levels in nearly five years, according to the major dairy auction. There's a couple of reasons for why we've seen softening dairy prices. The biggest being Chinese demand has continued to remain soft and volumes being auctioned have increased, so more supplies on the marketplace. Whole milk prices fell about 10.9% to an average selling price of $2,500 a metric ton, which is their lowest level since 2016. We also saw the GDT price index fell 7.4% with an average selling price of $2,800 per metric ton, the lowest level for the global dairy trade or the GDT auction since November of 2018. But as far as we look at why, again, ongoing economic challenges in China and a generally softer Chinese yuan have really limited the purchasing power of China, as well as seeing an increase of about 3% in volume flooding the marketplace. Those two factors alone have contributed to some of the lowest dairy prices we've seen in quite some time, Tanner. Yeah, that that is interesting. We also saw the EPA has launched their CAFO regulation review, but for now it looks to be in the favor of those livestock producers. They announced to the subcommittee, to federal subcommittee, that the process is expected to take 12 to 18 months, but they immediately rejected two petitions that sought to directly attack animal agriculture. The EPA EPA is protecting cattle producers from frivolous distractions. There are several advocacy groups, such as the Friends of Earth, Earth Justice, the Humane Society of the United States, that have asked the EPA to adopt presumptions that large CAFOs using wet manure management plans are discharging unnecessarily pollutants into the water systems. We'll continue to watch the progress of this 12 to 18 month review, but at first it sounds like some of the accusations will be dismissed. Russia did confirm that it hit a Swedish plant at Lutusk saying that it was strictly a military target. The Russian embassy stated in a rude comment, they confirmed the strike that the Swedish company's plant was hit on the night of August 14th saying that it was a legitimate military target and nothing against the Swedish government. We also see that The first container ship to depart from Ukraine since the Black Sea Green Deal did reach Romanian waters. According to track ship data, the Hong Kong flagged vessel was laden with food products and has become the first one to leave the Black Sea Corridor. President Zelensky has accused Russia of targeting global food security following additional drone attacks on ports 
that are necessary for Ukraine to export goods. Ukraine's not expecting U.S.-made F-16 fighter jets to arrive this year, even though the military and air force spokesman for the Ukrainian Air Force says that they would bolster their air defenses. And we are seeing some rolling blackouts going through parts of Ukraine due to Russian missile strikes. So we'll continue to keep an eye on what's progressing over there. Senator, we also got word from the U.S. State Department on Wednesday. They've condemned Russia's continued attacks that we report on here on Ukraine's grain infrastructure and said they're going to be working with partners to identify some alternative options to get Ukraine grain exports out of the country. In the comment from the State Department, they said the United States calls for Russia to immediately return to the Black Sea grain initiative, end quote. Of course, we know that Russia ended that deal on July 17th. And since then, we've seen a variety of different attacks coming through, Tanner. And the State Department said they're committed to finding possible ways and corridors in which we can continue to get grain to the places it needs to go, specifically citing humanitarian efforts there. As we know, quite a few countries that rely on Ukraine and the Black Sea area have not been able to get those exports as they usually are. So I think that's the last headline I had for today, aside from chatting markets. Yeah, I'm out as well. Where did markets open this morning? Well, markets are certainly opening mixed here as we head into the opening session. September corn down three and a quarter cent at 466 and a quarter. Beast new crop corn down two and three quarters cents at 478 and three quarters. Seems like markets are not finding their footing very well this week as we've seen a little bit of an up-down battle here day to day. Soybeans, however, continue to push higher here as the September contract added five and three quarters cents at 1340 and a half. Nove new crop beans up just a half a cent at 1324. In the wheat pits here, September Chicago wheat down eight and a half cents at 589 and a quarter. September hard red winter wheat down three cents at 740. And September spring wheat down a penny and three quarters at 789 and a quarter. In the livestock pits, a quick reminder at where things closed yesterday and we'll open back up on the board here today. October live cattle down 70 cents at a buck 79.27. September feeder cattle down 77 and a half cents at 249 even. And October lean hogs down two and a half cents at 78, 17 and a half. Tanner, today's conversation, we're going to be talking about a recent report released by Bushel looking at the state of the farming economy from their perspective. So let's turn it over to that conversation. Listeners, recently the Bushel State of the Farm Report was released. So today we have Dane Braun, Vice President of Platform Strategy with Bushel joining us. Dane, if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself as well as the company of Bushel Farms to start us out, that would be great. Yeah, thanks, Jennifer. Um, Well, myself, I'm a farm kid from Wheaton, Minnesota, uh, right where North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota come together. Uh, Mostly uh, corn and soybeans now, but used to be quite diversified with wheat and sugar beets and barley and all those things. Uh, I've been at Bushel uh, now for six years working on technology and agriculture, which is what our company is focused on, uh, we're focused on building the digital infrastructure for the grain industry. We have wonderful physical infrastructure in agriculture, 
but we don't necessarily have the digital connections and the digital pieces of that. And so that is what our focus is. And one of those products is Bushel Farm uh, and uh, this state of the farm uh, survey that we do. So, yeah, it's interesting as we followed the journey of Bushel and now into Bushel Farm, the amount of technology that is being provided to producers, but this state of the union almost report is going to be quite interesting as well. Let's get a little bit deeper into Bushel. How did it get started and what's that path looked like for listeners that aren't familiar? Yeah, Bushel started uh, nearly seven years ago uh, where we saw a need in the industry to connect uh, the farmer to the actual uh, grain elevators and cooperatives that they were doing business with, uh, where farmers and, and the actual grain companies wanted to um, you know, provide that information digitally, uh, scale tickets and contracts, settlement information versus the old paper uh, delivery mechanism. Uh, farmers wanted to see that information more in a real-time fashion. And so we came in and said, all right, let's, let's solve this problem. Let's create a product called Bushel Mobile, uh, where we will, uh, you know, solve this issue. We'll help them, farmers, you know, on the road, in the middle of the field, can see their scale tickets and their contracts uh, as they're getting updated during harvest season and all that information. We've, we've since that, that was like the, you know, the, the starting point. And we've since grown into many other products, um, including our wallet product, where we're helping farmers and, and uh, elevators move money and agribusinesses move money uh, to one another and do payments. Uh, and also uh, Bushel Farm, which is an acquisition of Farm Logs. Uh, we renamed Farm Logs to Bushel Farm, rebranded uh, recently, but we acquired Farm Logs uh, a couple of years ago now. And so that's another addition uh, to building out this network of products to solve, focus, focusing on these issues in agriculture where uh, technology can help solve. That's where Bushel is, is building and building towards this digital infrastructure as well. Yes, Dane, and absolutely, it sounds like this is a lot of amazing information and products for all of your consumers. And let's dive into the report now. Could you tell us a little bit more about the report that was recently released and how you were able to gather information? Because it looks like you were able to talk to more than 1,300 farmers across the United States. Yeah, we we have quite a large uh, list of, of people that we can send surveys out to. So this is something that FarmLog started in 2017, and we've continued it uh, even after the acquisition. I think it was uh, a great addition that uh, Jesse Palmer, the CEO and founder of FarmLogs, had had created. And so we wanted to keep keep it going. And uh, we survey, uh, we send a survey to quite a few of our uh, Bushel Farm uh, subscribers and and people that have logged in before in the past. And uh, it's a pretty extensive survey. Um, quite a few questions there. Uh, and it's, you know, both to gain information on products and, and things that we and strategies that we need to think about uh, at Bushel, but also to provide the state of the farm survey and um, or report. And there's 1,350 response, respondents, which is quite, quite large uh, compared to even uh, other surveys out there in agriculture. So we're quite proud of, of the response rate we get every year. Yeah, so that's going to be really great information. Now, is the data from this report available to all our listeners or how once we share some of the answers here, can they get access to it? Yeah, the, st the state of the farm uh, report is available at bushelfarm.com. It's available to um, all listeners uh, and it's open to the public to, to see this information. That's great. So yes, let's dive in. What are some key 
takeaways that you feel we can get out of that report? Yeah, some some key takeaways. Farmers are generally, as they think about grain marketing, they feel quite a bit more satisfaction in how they performed in grain marketing, how they performed in selling their grain. We've seen when they actually know their costs of production, when they know going into the the grain marketing season, when they begin certain, you know, starting to sell their crop, the higher they know, the higher percentage of people that know of our response, the more that they know about uh, the actual their actual cost of production and use that in their grain marketing, the better satisfied they are at the end of the year when they have uh, the final results to their grain marketing. I think that's really, you know, it's it's a very important stat there, a very informational, uh, great knowledge there. And I think, you know, one of the ways that we think how we can help is through the technology of them actually being able to understand their cost of production and estimating that and also to start uh, providing that grain marketing report. So I thought that was a key, you know, kind of interesting tidbit there on grain marketing. Uh, so some other key information was around payments and transactions. I think this is also interesting when you look outside of agriculture, uh, we use, um, you know, digital tools to move money and to pay one another. Um, you know, I don't know from a personal standpoint, when the last time I wrote a check, for example, like it's very, digital, you know, pay electric bills, pay your utilities, all through digital payments. Uh, but in agriculture, it's still very check-based. Uh, and so, you know, we see like in this, in our respondents, even, you know, 40% of our, of the respondents actually have used digital payments of some, some type to, you know, the Venmos, the PayPal's of the world. But when it comes to actually receiving the money from uh, grain elevators or, or from agribusinesses to pay agribusinesses, um, 82% of it is still done with check. And so it's a very you know interesting um, that we've moved to digital in some areas of our world, but not necessarily in agriculture. And, uh, and, and that, so that's kind of an interesting fact. Uh, and as we like con contrast that to non-agriculture uh, or just the greater kind of economy of business to business payments that happen, uh, there was a study not done by ourselves, but by the associate, association of uh, financial payments where business to business payments has gone away from checks actually uh 81% were done in checks in 2004 now in 2022 only 33% of payments between commercial you know business to business is actually done with checks so even in that world we've seen a lot more uh, digital payments yet we're not seeing that in agriculture yet there's still a lot of opportunity i guess to to speed up the delivery and the ease of of moving money in agriculture that is interesting. Being a part of the finance community, you're right. You see a lot of consumers, a lot of businesses that are either using uh, automatic clearinghouse transactions, ACHs, or or wires. But then, uh, typically, a lot of the ag customers are less quick to adopt that. But I think the finance industry is is going to force if they're not willing to adopt more of that, just due to the evolution. So that's interesting that your respondents said and mirrored kind of the same metrics there. Yeah, it, it is very interesting. And I think there will be some you know pressure to continue to, to adopt the digital movement of money versus checks. There's, you know, some risk uh, that can be averted and there, there's some ease of doing business with one another. There's the benefit of also getting paid uh, faster or making payments faster, depending on which direction you're going. So uh, yeah, I definitely see that trend. You know, I think the trend will, will, the trend that's happened, I guess, in business to business overall, I think will 
eventually get into agriculture. I, I think, you know, we're maybe at the leading edge of that and, and, uh, you know, it's exciting to see where that, where that takes off. I, I know on our farm, that'd be kind of fun, you know, uh, in a day, day and age where, uh, you know, you get, you bring your grain in, you, uh, you get your scale ticket, you call up or you send a message, Hey, can, uh, can you settle up my grain and get a payment that day? That'd be kind of, uh, kind of interesting, uh, kind of fun to, to have that money coming in that quick. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, it'll take time to to get the industry to adopt that. Absolutely, Dane. And I'm interested in how Bushel will plan to use this information as they move forward over the next year. I know you've publicized this data that you collected, but how else will you guys plan to push it and use it to the best of your abilities? Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, some of the results help us in our, um, you know, making product decisions. So as we look to uh, solve problems both for farmers and agribusinesses and in, in agriculture. You know these results help us understand where we should start, where we should solve, um, uh, what problems first we should solve for, uh, and also you know understanding kind of the um, psychology behind it. Uh, some of these changes, right? We talked about payments. There's uh, a psycholo- psychological aspect of actually receiving that check and seeing that you know hundred thousand dollar check uh, maybe come in, and uh, there's like there's that um, aspect that how can we recreate maybe in technology where they feel so proud of of that money coming like is there is there ways that we can do that in a user experience so you know those are just some some of the ways that we can use this information as we build products to solve problems in in the egg industry in this in this space and uh and just use it for you know go to market as well like where where should we start what um what areas should we be solving first uh, I think is really valuable. And, you know, we want to share this data. Um, it's really important to share this report to the greater audiences as well. We may be competing with some people that are repeating, reading this report, for example, but that's okay. We we want agriculture to have the tide rise all, all ships here. Like, you know, we all believe in, in, in Bushel and in the future of agriculture and just how important it is. And we're, there's a lot of farm kids here. So, uh, as well. So just sharing this information is really important to us as well, to the to the greater audience, including your listeners. So as Bushel Farm continues to look at the future of this report, I assume that it will continue to happen on an annual basis. Are you looking for more contributors or if somebody wants to contribute, how do they get connected? Yeah, great question. Uh, we are always looking for more contributors. So the easiest way to get connected is sign up for a trial uh, of Bushel Farm. Uh, that that for sure gets you into uh, into the survey. You can also reach out to uh, myself or or any one of our team members. Uh, and there's some contact information at bushelfarm.com in order to do that. And we'll get you connected. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dane. We really appreciate it. And you shared some great information. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for uh, the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Well, there you go. We'll be back for one more episode this week. Don't go too far. Also, keep up with us on social media. We'll be headed out to Farm Progress Show. At least I will. So we'll try and get some content out there for you as well here coming in the next couple of weeks. But for today, what do you say, Delaney? Should we let them go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 